Hey there, you're listening to Chase Stories Chats with Marcelino Perez, a series where I sit down with friends and talk about their life stories and journeys. We dive into their passions and how they got to where they are now, discussing the good, the bad, and the funny all along the way. Everyone has an important story to share, and there are valuable lessons we can take away from each one. Alrighty, welcome back to another Chase Stories Chats. I am with my good friend, Tina Frias. Thank you, Tina, for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, of course. Um, As it's tradition now here, um, every time we start off with a cheers, I hope you brought your beverage. Okay, I have two beverages, so can I do both? (laughs) I mean, I've got two also. (laughs) You got a La Croix. I have a cold coffee and a La Croix. Perfect, cheers. Cheers. Thank you. (laughs) Tina and I know each other from high school. Fun fact, Tina was my love interest in my junior project, my junior Spanish project with Jesse Culligan and Alec Mishra. I don't know if you remember this. What? Yeah, we made a music video for our Spanish final. Oh, okay. (laughs) I remember this. Tina broke my heart. Um, It was a very sad time. It was very dramatic. Our, the name of our band was Los Leones Oscuros. Um, and <laughs> that's, that's how I originally met Tina. Wait, that's such a dramatic band name. Oh, yeah. We, we went all out. And the thing is, she tried to not give us an A. That was the worst part. She did I not, tried to not give you a what? She did not want to give us an A on our project. Who did? Um, Senor Jenkins. Yeah, our teacher. Oh. <laughs> Even though it was a a masterpiece, I would say, an amazing music video. It was, yeah, so it was a music video. I remember this distinctly because, okay, correct me if I'm wrong Mm -hmm. about the occasion, but I remember being in this video, um, and I think I was wearing a dress, and it had buttons down the front, (laughs) and I remember being like, fuck, because the buttons were, like, undoing themselves. (laughs) I don't know if that was caught on camera, but it was an anxiety that I had during that filming session. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's where we went to high school together. She's a year above me. And then we also um, traveled for a little bit through Colombia um, a couple years back with our friend Rachel, which was super fun. And that was a great time to get to know you a little bit more. Uh, We spent, oh, that really cool hostel. Oh man. Giant hammocks overlooking the mountains. I had broken my nose. (laughs) I forgot about that in a pool. (laughs) In a pool prior to going to these beautiful mountains with you guys. And my nose was this wide. Yeah, you just, you looked like you had a nasal strip on the entire time. You just had. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Tina, we always start off with the really really difficult questions first. So here is yours. who influenced pop more, NSYNC or the Backstreet Boys? Oh, and God. who was your personal favorite? I would say NSYNC. I think they had mm. more talent. <laughs> <laughs> they, had, they had Justin Timberlake. Like, they did. <laughs> He's lived longer than everybody else in terms of his career. Yeah, I mean, in terms of his life, I think that they're probably all still alive, oh, but in terms of career, yeah, JC. Or wait, JT, sorry. JT, JT. 
Um, yeah, no, definitely uh, in sync. Oh, perfect. They I'm, had the dance moves. Um, did. Yeah. They're also, I think they were late. You know, they hit that younger demographic too. They just seemed younger. I think Backstreet Boys were older too. Yeah, they might have been. Um, I don't know, but I, I definitely remember uh, Backstreet Boys being like really moody and great to sing to, <laughs> but like, I don't know, there's something special about NSYNC. I totally agree with you. Um, Tina, could you give us a little background on you, where you're from, um, sort of, you know, uh, what you enjoyed doing growing up um, and what you do now? So I'm from the Bay Area, um, from a town called Los Altos, um, sleepy little Bay Area town. Um, mm -hmm. And what did I enjoy doing growing up? I, yeah. I, was, I was super into... Ever since I was little, I was really into art. Um, I would paint and draw and, um, you know, when my sister outgrew playing with me, then I would just like play by myself in my room and like draw and I don't know, just imagine things. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I, I liked hanging out with my friends, <laughs> going on bike rides around the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. It's a sleepy, small town life. Um, my family's Colombian, so I grew up going back and forth between here and Colombia pretty much every summer. Um, so I spent a lot of time there. I have all my families in Colombia. Um, and so, yeah, I think I also developed a deep love of travel and a deep love mm -hmm. for Colombia. Of course, it's kind of like my second home. Yeah. Um, but I think just sh being shuttled back and forth like that, um, and and also you know traveling around here and stuff um, made me always want to travel and be in other places and explore. Yeah, totally. And could you tell us a little bit about what you do? Because I think it's super awesome. Yeah, I am a fiction writer, mm -hmm. um, and I'm currently working on a collection of short stories and a project that I don't really know what it's gonna turn into, so I don't wanna like jinx yeah. anything. Um, but I yeah, so a couple of things um, related to creative writing. Mm -hmm. I also um, wrote an opera, um, the libretto of the opera, not the actual musical composition because mm -hmm. I can't even read sheet music. Um, no. <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, I'm writing and that's kind of, been a huge focus of mine for the past several years. Yeah, how did you first start getting into writing? Obviously you said you were really into art growing up. Mm -hmm. um, when did you first, you know, really get into writing and, you know, writing, you know, fiction stuff? Yeah, so I think in high school I was still kind of identifying more as like a visual artist and, mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't until like kind of in the, like towards the end of high school that I started really, um, feeling like literature was art was a, um, because usually in classes they they teach you how to analyze literature and but they never really teach you um, a lot about creative writing itself and in, in most of the classes that at least I took um, and anytime I had a creative project I was like yes like so into it but it wasn't until college that I started actually um, writing fiction mm -hmm. and getting serious about it um, I took one creative writing class, um, yeah, earlier, early into college, and it was kind of like an instant 
Like I, I, before that I wasn't sure really what I was going to study. And I was, yeah. I was like, Oh, I don't know if I can study studio art. I went to UC Davis. Um, and I was like, I don't know, like if that's all I want to do, like there are other things that I feel inside of myself that I'm capable of doing, you know? <laughs> um, and so I kind of explored and then I found fiction um, and it felt like everything fell into place. Wow. Um, like it was a sort of realization that, um, you know, maybe the craft of creating visual art was something that I enjoyed, but what I, but what I could do even better than that and then enjoyed even more was creating worlds um, through fiction. Um, it kind of went beyond just some, a depiction on the page. You know, like I felt like, like I was able to access more of myself through fiction. Mm -hmm. um, so that was kind of a big realization. Yeah, totally. Oh, that's such a, such a special feeling, you know, just kind of realizing like, hey, this is what I want to do and what mm -hmm. I do really well and everything just aligns. Um, exactly. And uh, through, I mean, that's so cool that, you know, just like being in that class made you realize it. I'm sure for other people it may take, you know, going around and about and start trying to figure out, you know, doing a lot of introspection and whatnot. Um, and it's very interesting to hear how people find their passions. Um, so yeah. that's super cool that you were able to do that and figure that out in college and pretty early on um, and do it. Um, how did you help cultivate that and grow that as you were there? Um, oh, I was just, I just became a total nerd. I was just like <laughs> obsessive. Um, I was like, this is what I got to do. And I became, um, yeah, like I, I just started taking more classes. I changed mm -hmm. my major. I, um, I started taking more creative writing classes. I kind of quickly like escalated um, my, I don't know, my, I guess my path in school. Mm -hmm. And uh, my senior year, I did a, um, an honors project. Um, I had to like apply for this project to be part of the honor system. And it's kind of like an independent project that you, that you can do as a senior. And I did mine um, in creative writing and I wrote a collection of stories that was like 75 pages long. Um, which I wrote in like that year. Um, wow. And I, yeah, and I, I don't know, I just, I became obsessive. I don't know how else I can say it. Like I would stay up all night, um, many, many nights. I would stay up all night turning in, uh, write, finishing stories to turn yeah. in for my classes. I mean, the thing with writing is like, you you have to you have to write and write and write and write to become a better writer. Mm -hmm. And um, And I found that, definitely the structure of school helped me um, just get my shit together and, and actually do it and try and learn how to develop a sensibility for my craft mm -hmm. and um, and not just a sensibility for like the type of art that I was making, but also um, understanding the, the challenges of actually sitting down in front of a computer and writing um, because that's it's a whole other thing. Um, like you, it, it, it can be extremely painful and hard to sit in front of a computer and write. Oh, yeah. Like you just have like a blank page in front of you and it can be devastating <laughs> um, sometimes to be facing that page. And I often had um, a lot of difficulty with that, but I, so I was kind of developing mm -hmm. a routine um, around it and, and trying, just trying to figure out how to, how to just physically do it. Um, yeah. You know, so that, that was also part of the process. Yeah, I love how you 
you know, you, you dove deep into, into your process and how um, I was watching a video and reading a book. It's called Creative Calling by this author called Chase Jarvis. And he was talking about how creativity is almost like a muscle that you need to continuously, you know, work out and practice. And you gave some good, good, uh, good tidbits in terms of like developing good habits um, and figuring that sort of stuff out, which I, I really love. And it's something that I am trying to add to my life, you know, better habits in order to, be, you know, work that creative muscle as well. Yeah. What are you, what are you creatively working on? Oh, so I'm glad you asked. Uh, <laughs> I, so I love doing photography and so it's been a really big part of my life. Um, and so it's just continuously working on my craft in terms of, you know, shooting, um, getting into different types of photography in terms of most of it has been mostly landscape. Um, over the years, so I'm trying to get more into portrait and street photography as well. Um, and just, you, you know, it, it forces you to be out of your comfort zone and being out of your comfort zone is the only way you grow as a person uh, and in your craft. So doing that as well as I am not the strongest writer. Um, and so I am learning or practicing my writing skills through blogs, uh, which I have on my website. Um, and so I'm working on that, just talking about my travel experiences, um, just like fun little hiking type things, little tidbits on stuff like that, like camera equipment, whatnot. So it's, it's through those different things. And then through this project that we're doing here right now, which is, um, you know, talking with people one on one, uh, talking about our experiences and, and, you know, conversation is also a craft that needs to be practiced and mastered. Um, it's not easy to, to, especially to be, I've talked with a couple friends about building relationships and connections and the importance of being genuine and vulnerable. Um, especially I feel for me in these sorts of conversations where we're talking, I'm talking with people about their passions. Um, you need to be very open. You need to be very vulnerable and you need to show the person that you're talking to that, you know, what they're saying is important to you and that you're listening. Um, so it's all those things working on all that. That just got a little bit meta. <laughs> it did, it did. But you know what, that's what this is all about. <laughs> I love it. Let's get even more meta. <laughs> oh, let's do it. Let's talk about, did you feel, you know, you, you found your passion. You're like, oh yeah, I'm doing this. I love it. I'm up all night writing all this stuff. Where did you see yourself going with this at the time? Where you're like, I'm gonna write a book. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna write in a magazine. Did you have anything, or you're just like oh I'm just going? Whoa. I, I had no idea. Yeah. I honestly, I was just, I was like, I just feel intensely about this. <laughs> you know, like it wasn't like, it also wasn't always enjoyable. Like I often yeah. hated it, and it wasn't until I like finished a project and felt this insane feeling, like. Um, like I remember one time I finished a story and I always come back to this memory because it's just so strong where I stayed up, uh, writing this story and I was so excited. And then I like shared it with my mentor. Like I just sent it to her via email for my, um, senior project. And I remember like, I was just so, I felt like high from it. Like, like it felt like I had chugged so much coffee and I, um, and I stayed up all night, like just, I couldn't sleep. Mm -hmm. um, and so I went for, I had so much built up energy. 
still that at like five in the morning and I'm, I'm mind you, I am a lover of sleep <laughs> and I never wake up early. Yeah. I was like, I can't continue just like being in bed right now. So I went for a, a run and I just like sprinted for like, I don't know how long, like I had that much built up energy from like, I finished this project. And so there's this like feeling of elation that I, that I would have sometimes about finishing certain things. And, and it's a rare feeling to come by and it's something that um, is, is so special that mm -hmm. I just, I wasn't really thinking about, um, you know, I didn't have an MO, like I wasn't like, Oh, I'm going to write books and I'm going to work for magazines and all this stuff. Like mm -hmm. I was just convinced that this was something I had to do. And, um, and even when I was graduating undergrad, um, later I, I, I graduated from grad school of creative writing last year, mm -hmm. but, um, graduating undergrad and everyone was getting jobs and whatnot. And I was like, I honestly don't know what to do. Like, I feel like I'm a very um, illogical person. <laughs> like I don't, or not illogical, I'm sorry, impractical person in that I am not um, doing something with my life that feels like it has a super practical purpose in the real world that, you know, I'm going to fit into a job that I'm just going to, um, you know, be able to live from for the rest of my life. Like, it, there was no indication in any of my classes or with any of the people that I spoke to who were more uh, progressed in their careers in writing. Um, no, but none of them were saying like, yeah, keep writing and you'll be rich. You know, like everyone was saying like, if you write, like most likely you're not going to make money from it. <laughs> um, so I was like, whatever, I'm just going to keep going and doing it. Cause I, I don't know, like that was just how I felt. Mm -hmm. um, so. Yeah, I guess the next, I guess the main goal I had afterwards is just to go to grad school and continue doing it. Yeah. And I, th maybe there was like a slight thought in the back of my mind that like eventually I would, I would write a book, like a collection of short stories. Um, but I wasn't even like there yet. I was just thinking about like, how can I get better at this? Yeah, yeah, totally. You just, you're just focused more on the, the next step instead of you know, the other side of the, the, the tracks or whatever it is, just that next. Yeah. That's cool. I love that. Yeah. Um, you talked about the creative block um, mm -hmm. and dealing with, how do you deal with that? Cause it, it is super frustrating. Yeah. And I just remember writing papers in college and <laughs> having that and knowing that the papers do tomorrow and I can't write anything. How do you, I mean, especially for you now that you, it's more of a, as you, you do it more often, you do it as a profession. Yeah. Uh, how do you deal with that and get through that? Okay, well, um, let me just clarify as a profession. Um, <laughs> I'm not making any money from my from my fiction yet. <laughs> like, um, I've made a little bit of money from mm -hmm. um, like an award that I won um, and like a publication, um, but you know, it's not something that I'm like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm living off of this now, like not yeah. at all. Um, but it is still like a goal of mine to finish my book, um, you know, get an agent, get published. Like that's, that's kind of like the next step for me right now in the state that I'm at. And even in the operas that I wrote, like, um, like I, I didn't make any money from it at all. Like I, um, it was just a, it was, it was a, a professional experience, I would yeah. say, to get all of those things performed and published and all that stuff that, it's gonna hopefully, you know, propel me into the next state of my career. But mm -hmm. um, 
sorry. So that was a little aside. Um, so don't be fooled. Um, but but in a way, it's tying into my profession um, in that now I'm I'm an English. I'm starting my job as an English teacher at high school, and so it's interrelated. And anyway, um, so block the, the creative block um, that you're talking about for me. Oh, it's horrible. It's a horrible thing to face. Um, sometimes, sometimes I think that um, writer's block, depending on the writer, um, happens when you like when there's when there's something like kind of there's just something that's not working with what you're writing and like you and you subconsciously know it and you're just like kind of dreading trying to figure out that problem and 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 fixing it um because it just seems overwhelmingly difficult and um and you're you're so afraid of engaging with it that you're not able to like let go of the logical part of your brain that says this sucks this isn't working or i can't think of any ideas yeah um and um, and engage with the subconscious. Like you need, like, I feel like for me, I have to, um, get rid of all of those, um, kind of thoughts that crowd my brain that say, you can't do this. This is too hard. Like that what you've created so far is bullshit, um, or whatever, um, to kind of throw that away and access the part of myself that has the ability to engage with the subconscious in a meaningful way to then produce, real art <laughs> because mm -hmm. I think um, at least for me and and from what a lot of other writers who I respect have have talked about is that um, kind of the most beautiful moments in their writing comes from the subconscious because you're just following this like f this flow mm -hmm. that you can't get there by logic logicking your way in like you just can't like it's in there it's like you know how um like uh in when you're playing a sport or something like that um and you again bringing back the idea of the muscle mm -hmm. um when you're playing a sport and and you're really good at playing that sport um and like you you're like playing basketball and then you're just running down I don't know, I'm terrible at sports, the <laughs> basketball court, and you're doing like a layup or whatever. And then you go and you and you do a slam dunk. Like you're not thinking about um, your body's movements when you're doing yeah. it. You're just like, you're going into autopilot, like your body knows how to do this and you're just going into the flow, right? Um, so I think we need to kind of trick ourselves into accessing that flow mm -hmm. um, more than we are able to on a daily basis basis with the yeah. mundanity of our lives you know <laughs> i totally agree with that um so you mentioned travel at the start especially how has travel really affected your writing oh um very very deeply <laughs> I think um, that's why i had to ask it yeah um well I could talk about this for ages, but there's no time. I mean, I'll start by saying, like, just as an example, like the opera that I wrote mm -hmm. is like I wouldn't have been able to write it without having gone to Argentina and lived on a farm 
um, because that's like where a lot of the imagery and the ideas and the themes kind of started to come from. So sometimes um, the, the places that have like a profound impact on me um, will be the host for a story. Yeah. Um, and I think kind of navigating different landscapes that spark um, like some realization or some feeling that is harder to access when you're just like in your comfort zone, like at home, um, like travel does that um, to me and um, things become more memorable. Things like kind of glow, you know, like the edges of things kind of glow when you're, when I'm in certain places, you know, more than others. Um, and like, if you're in a place at the right time, or I'm not going to say at the right time, but like mm-hmm. at a particular time, that's like, um, you know, you're, maybe you're struggling with something and then you're in this place, like the place where you're in is, is gonna be associated in your memory later on with that feeling, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, there, so, so that'll happen and I'll bring things in from other places. Um, I care a lot about, um, setting in my stories. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it's kind of an inherent part of my process. Yeah. Yeah. And do you feel that, you know, being from Colombia, traveling to Mexico as well, I know mm-hmm. you've done and Argentina, do you think Latin America and, you know, that sort of, those sorts of roots really come through in your writing as well? Yeah. Yeah. Um, a hundred percent. Um, a lot of my stories are about, are kind of filtered through my experience as someone who's bicultural, um, with two nationalities, America, uh, us and Colombian, Mm -hmm. um, kind of moving between those spaces and like kind of remembering some of those moments um, when I was younger and how it felt to be in Colombia um, and and bringing back those images and those feelings and kind of rebuilding them as a story. Um, that happens often. Um, sometimes stories from my family members in Colombia play a big role, like my grandfather. Um, he would tell me stories like all the time and anytime I see I would see him he would tell me stories about his life and so it'd be like stories from when he was nine years old and um I've never written about this but uh he (laughs) this is just one that came to the top of Mm -hmm. my head but he knew Gabriel Garcia Marquez the like yeah big famous writer from Colombia that everybody knows about you all don't know him you need to look him up because yeah famous writers ever (laughs) yeah um he's very important in literature, but um, he and my grandpa went to the same like elementary school. Mm -hmm. Um, And the memory that my grandpa has of him from when they were younger was Gabriel Garcia Marquez, AKA Gabo um, would with his friends, because he was a bit older than my grandpa get a blanket and they would all grab like the edges of the blanket and then my grandpa would be like on the blanket and they would toss him up like this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's like a fun fact for you all, some trivia on Gabriel Garcia Marquez. 
Um, so anyway, just like crazy stories um, from the the olden days kind yeah. of influence me sometimes. Yeah, that's awesome. I feel like, yeah, a, a lot of our experiences will really affect, you know, our, whatever our creative process and, and what we end up producing in that. Do you have a favorite piece that you've written? Um, I, I think I do. Mm -hmm. um, it's actually about um, my grandpa's farm in Colombia. Um, and it's called New Year's in La Calera. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a story that's super special to me. Um, I remember writing it. I wrote it in undergrad, actually. Um, and yeah, it's really special to me because it has a lot, it has like some family history in it. Mm -hmm. um, it takes place in, in this farm, um, Una Finca, where it's um, just outside of, Bogota, which is the capital of Colombia. So it's in the Andes. It's in a really kind of almost surreal setting. Um, and my mother and all of her family members, like cousins and everyone, um, went there since they were little. And then my sister and I would go there ever since we were little, every time we went to Colombia. And it's like mm -hmm. an escape from the city and we'd go. And it's like in the middle of nowhere in these mountains. And there's like fog rolling in and these old kind of prehistoric looking um, trees everywhere. And, um, it, it's like, it has all, we have, there's so many stories that populate this place in my family. And so it takes place there. And I remember writing it one day and I was freaking out. Um, it was from one of my creative writing classes in undergrad. I was writing it for my workshop and, um, I had to turn in a story for my workshop. And so yeah. I was like, what do I write about? What do I write about? Oh my God. And I was just like hitting my head against the wall and drafting and drafting. And I couldn't figure out what to write. And I like, I was like, oh, oh why can't I do this? <laughs> and um, I just like sat down and I was like, okay, what can I write that nobody else knows about? Like, mm -hmm. um, and so I wrote about that place. Um, and yeah, so it became a really special story for me. Yeah, I'm sure. And you describing La Finca right there and, you know, where your family lives makes me want to go back to Colombia and uh, visit my, my family's finca as well. Yeah. Uh, Where's your family's finca? Uh, in Cali. Or actually, it's in Santander. Okay. So uh, a little cool. bit further. Yeah. I've never been to Cali. It's nice. I definitely mm. recommend it. It's pretty. And also for salsa. Do you like salsa? Of course. Yeah. yeah. The best salsa dancers in the world are in Cali. That they are. Too bad I've got two left feet. Oh, no. I was going to ask, are you a, a, an amazing salsa dancer? I'm not yet. I think I think there's potential, but I uh, have not flexed my dancing muscle in quite some time. You know, uh, it's kind of hard also during coronavirus. True. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's talk about being bicultural and, you know, how has that, I mean, you talked a little bit about, you know, it's, you know, talking about that experience and how it's, a, you know, it's come up in your work. Um, mm -hmm. What was it like for you growing up and doing that um, um, experience? But I want to hear yours. Being bicultural and how it affects my work. Um, oh, it's. Your life in general. Oh, it's my how life? It's, yeah, both. Oh, Let's yeah. I think it's, I mean, I would not be who I am without being bicultural. Like it's yeah. an essential part of my identity. Um, 
I grew up um, speaking Spanish at home um, and then going to school and everybody speaking English. My first language was Spanish. Um, and then I, uh, but it was also kind of like a little bit of a mix between Spanish and English because I couldn't like distinguish between the grammar of the two languages when I was really little and I was like learning languages just like at all. Yeah. And so I would say weird things in both languages and like, anyway, it was just like kind of funny, but um, yeah, so it was very much, it, and especially growing up here where it's mm -hmm. very, it's very white, it's very homogenous. Um, it's a very homogenous part of the Bay Area, I would say, uh, which is generally like a very diverse place. Um, but like in my schools, it was most, I would think I was the only, uh, Latino kid and, um, except for like a couple others. And, um, and so it, yeah, it, it almost felt like there was a difference between like who I was in school and who I was at home. And then, um, sometimes like who I was at home would come out with like, um, come out at school and there would be like a, like, I don't know, like a weird moment where I'd be like, wait, like. <laughs> what's going on like yeah. why are we all so different um and i would have but i had a community of of uh latina uh friends mm -hmm. like who had immigrant parents like mine who were from venezuela or colombia or uh peru or mexico and um so they all became fr like their parents or friends with my parents and they had kids and so then um, it be just became this community yeah. where we were always speaking Spanish and like dancing, like our Thanksgivings were like, we'd have Thanksgiving super late with all these people, with all these Latinos, like yeah. we would, and this still happens, um, eating until like, we would start dinner at like 10 PM because it would like take us that long to like make all the turkey and all this shit, like because Latinos are like late with everything. I mean, and that's, that's why I assumed it was it was starting late. <laughs> yeah, like of course, and people are getting there late, and like anyway, people are like getting drunk, and mm -hmm. um, and then after dinner, it just turns into like a dance party, and we play yeah, like salsa and stuff, and just dance, and um, and so that was a very it it brings me a lot of joy. Um, I love that. Um, I celebrate it. Uh, I'm super proud of that as part of my identity. Um, it gives me a glimpse into, or not even a glimpse, like a big wide window into another way of living. <clears throat> and it makes me um, want, yeah, like I feel, I feel very connected with people who come from two cultures often. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, what about you? Well, I mean, yeah, it's been, I had a similar experience where, you know, I went to going to Sacred Heart, which is our high school, very much a very white school and having to play the role of, you know, the two, I would describe it as like two different masks, one at home and one for school um, as yeah. well. I mean, it was a mix of, of Spanish and English at my house too. Mm -hmm. um, and I found myself trying to, obviously, just, I mean, high school is a very difficult age and, you know, it's an age where you're just trying to fit in and, you know, do whatever your friends are doing. Um, and not really try and stick out and create waves or whatnot, at least in my case. Um, and, you know, I, I found myself kind of pushing my my culture and, you know, what's super important to me to the side in order to try and fit in. And it wasn't really until college and, you know, finding a, a larger group, a larger, you know, Latin population, um, more Latin friends um, and, and speaking in, in Spanish. And I think the really the the tipping point for me was I, my senior year of college where I 
did a service trip to the Dominican Republic and a lot of, or a decent amount of the people in my group couldn't speak Spanish. And mm -hmm. so I was translating a lot. Mm -hmm. And I was just realizing how important the, first of all, the languages and, and you know, having that, that culture and um, is so important. And like you said, it, it gives you a window into different, you know, ways of life. And it was totally that. And, you know, being able to share experiences and creating relationships because you can speak Spanish or any other language, I feel it's super special. Um, and I've been trying to foster that over the years and really try to, you know, be much more proud of who I am and where my family comes from. And, um, you know, and it, it comes with as well, like traveling as too. I'm like, I've made it a point to travel to South America, to Latin America, to Mexico, uh, Mexico, Colombia, Peru. Um, mm -hmm. My next is Ecuador, which is where my grandpa's from. Um, oh. So I got to make a trip out there soon. But <laughs> Never been there. I want to. It's super cool. I've just been seeing pictures and I've been doing research. So it's on the list. Hopefully oh post-corona, if it ends any Post-corona. Post <laughs> It's going to be PC, pre-corona, and as well PC. And probably. also PC. <laughs> <laughs> A better version. Yes, exactly. PC yeah. plus or whatever. <laughs> but it's been, I mean, I've been, I've been realizing just how blessed I am to be able to have that. And it's, you know, created job opportunities as well. Um, mm. But definitely creating the relationships has been the biggest thing for me. And it's super special to to be able to share that with other people. And seriously, like if you meet somebody from, from Latin America, South America, whoever, someone that speaks Spanish and they know that you speak Spanish, instant bond, just like that. Yeah. You're immediately friends. Yeah, exactly. Like in, in the US that is. Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. And like when you go to restaurants and stuff and like the server is, is uh, Latino and you're uh -huh. like, Oh, let's, I know you speak Spanish. Let's speak Spanish. And they're like, yeah. Exactly. Oh my gosh. And, and then they, they like, I don't know, hook you up, like they, give you a free drink. Oh, they, they do. It's true. They always give you the hookup after. It's great. <laughs> I love it. Um, and probably one of my, one of my favorite things was I went with, um, one of, I went, uh, with a group of friends to a, a restaurant. Do you know Milagros in Redwood City? Uh, I don't know. It's your Broadway, anyways. It's like a you know, it's a it's a Mexican American restaurant. You know, there's mm -hmm. a lot. Of, and so my group was, I mean, I was the only brown person in my group, <laughs> and everybody's ordering, and we have a a, a Latino server, and um, I responded in Spanish. Uh -huh. and I ordered in Spanish, and he goes, "Wow, you speak Spanish really well." I'm like. Yes, I do. <laughs> you want to know why? Would you like to know why my dad's Mexican? My mom's yeah. from Colombia, and what? <laughs> I, I, like instant connection. I I think yeah. it's special to be able to have that, and you know, it's just like traveling is a lot easier, especially the, down there. I don't know. Yeah, I love it. I, I love, love it. it. It's been it's been great. Yeah, when I um I lived in Argentina for like nine months, eight or eight months, mm -hmm. um, in 2016 and 2017. And I, well, I say lived, but I was like kind of nomadically moving around um, like several months here, several months there. And, hmm? were, you, were you a gaucho? Like, <laughs> was I a gaucho? <laughs> Why, yes. Nomadic following the cattle and just going from place to place. I just rode my horse into the sunset and the horse led me wherever it wanted to lead me. And that's where I'd go. 
Um, no, but I actually, when I was there, my I made a friend in Buenos Aires who was from, I think she was from Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And she went to Patagonia for like a trip. And then she came back to Buenos Aires and she was like, I fell in love with a gaucho. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> and she was completely serious. Like she fell in love with a gaucho who um, like worked as a gaucho, like legit, you know, with his gaucho hat, his gaucho cattle, his horses, like straight up Patagonian cowboy. Um, and she like went back there later and like just lived with him for a while. And then, wow. um, and then had to like go back to Switzerland. And then she like moved back to Argentina like a few months later to like go live with him in Patagonia. It was like so wild. Um, <laughs> I know. And she like, yeah, it was, it was, it was a very beautiful story, <laughs> but um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh yeah. So anyway, being able to speak Spanish definitely facilitated my journey around Argentina where I, I traveled by myself. Like um, I didn't know anyone in Argentina when I arrived. I remember arriving there and like crying because I was like, where am I? Like I'm so far south yeah. <laughs> and it's winter cause the seasons there are inverted and mm. it was July and I was like so cold in this, uh, in Mendoza. And anyway, after from that point on things started looking up more um, and I was making friends and I was doing things, but um, but thank God for speaking Spanish. Like I am so grateful for that because my parents were so strict with me when I was growing up. Like mm -hmm. they would, they speak English, but, um, and have jobs in English and everything, but they would like pretend not to be able to understand my sister and I, and they'd like yell at us <laughs> if we spoke in English in the house. Yeah. Um, like we would get in trouble, like if we spoke English, like we'd get yelled at. Um, and I'd always be like, hmm. But um, but now I'm like, thank you. Thank you so much. Totally. <laughs> because it's the only way that I that I became fluent, you know? Oh, seriously. And I know that I kind of wish that my parents were stricter with us because it kind of goes in order. So there's there's four of us. It's, mm -hmm. it's me and then my sister and then my two brothers. Mm -hmm. And the amount of Spanish that they speak goes down on yeah you know, the levels and so i speak it fluently so does my sister my 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 brother one of my brothers like speaks it pretty well and he can understand and then the last one can just kind of understand and he doesn't really speak it mm, yeah I, that I usually happens that. i wish he could you know i want him to to be able obviously to learn it so they can be able to communicate with our family better and whatnot and hopefully have him realize the stuff that we've been realizing too and how important it is i know that's what's hard like growing up uh, like I can imagine parents mm -hmm. like your parents or my parents um, who came to this country from another country and have their language and their culture and they want their kids to have that language and culture too a lot of mm -hmm. times. Um, but and how how I, I can imagine feeling very sad that like my own flesh and blood doesn't really get where I'm from or like what my culture is, you know, and like um, I, I know that, you know, it's it's hard to maintain some of that um, cultural heritage, especially over generations. Yeah. Um, but it's something that I'm like, oh, like I'm so glad I'm first generation, not second generation, you know, because yeah. um, I actually have a connection with that culture. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make sure that my kids, you know, speak it as well. I'm going to be very strict. I'm going to be like, nah, -uh. I don't know what you're saying. Just like your parents did. It. I know. Same. <laughs> I want the same thing. <laughs> 
<laughs> Tina, let's talk about some of your works. Um, you brought up that you did an opera. How was that? How was the process for that? And I know that was pretty recent as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, um, I started, oh man, okay, so I'll, I'll try and do this quickly, but um, mm -hmm. I started writing um, this really bad story. It was terrible uh, while I was in Argentina, um, like living on the farms and stuff and then going to Buenos Aires. I started like writing this weird story and it mm -hmm. wasn't working and it wasn't working. And so I was like, screw it. I kind of scrapped it and I was like, whatever. Um, like, I can't deal with this right now. I'm gonna, can't, I'll think about it later. A year later, um, I was in grad school at David, UC Davis and, um, and I had like some assignment and, um, and so I, I just drew from that story and I completely changed the structure and I like kind of just rewrote it as a very, very short, um, script. Mm -hmm. Um, so the, the form was like completely deconstructed and changed. Um, and so it had three voices. It was a moon, uh, the moon, idiot girl is the other character and the dogs. Um, and so, so it was just these three voices. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, like while I was writing this or after I had written it, um, I became uh, part of this group of students on campus or like through my program in collaboration with um, the music program, uh, mm -hmm. the music PhDs, um, because they had gotten um, this opportunity to um, collaborate with us. And so, um, so whoever wanted or was interested could kind of sign up. And so I signed up and um, I got linked up with um, this composer who was in the PhD program, his name is Ryan Suleiman. And um, he and I started working together. And, and the idea was that um, whoever was the writer would write the text that would mm -hmm. then be set to music. And we could use whatever form we wanted. Like it didn't necessarily have to be an opera. It could just be like a song, you know? Um, but uh, we ended up using this script that I had written with the moon, idiot girl and the dogs. Um, because it was already in script form, we were like, this could be cool. And, and the writing already kind of felt like it could be adapted for a song because it, there was like weird lyricism going on and like the voices were strange and like it felt like it was kind of ripe for um, for this opera idea that we had. So, um, so I had, it, this is a challenge because I had never collaborated with anyone on a project before on a creative project. And so um, you're also, you know, collaborating with another artist can either be a beautiful thing or it can be a very challenging thing you know, or it can be awesome. <laughs> yeah, like you need to be working with someone who you jive with and have like the same kind of direction and like can mm -hmm. each contribute things that are complementary to each other's vision instead of like kind of squashing each other's voices. Um, and so I lucked out majorly um, because Ryan and I worked so well together. And, um, and so I would, uh, he was like, this is kind of what you will need to do because, you know, singing in opera can take, you know, you can sing like three words and it'll take like a year to sing it because <laughs> of the way that it's sung. Like, yeah. it's, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I had to like majorly shorten what I had written and like adapt it and think about lyricism and think about music and think about drama and, and performativity and all of these things that I had never really considered before. Um, and uh, kind of ask Ryan like, okay, like what, how would this work 
um, musically. And then we would kind of collaborate together and, and then he would say like, okay, well we need to have um, like this be like a momentous scene or something like that. And then I would go back and I would like change and because he's thinking about the musicality of it and how yeah. he's gonna create drama through the progression of the music. And um, he has to create like a theme and all these things. Um, that I had never really considered before yeah. in terms of like structure of music. And so um, we would kind of just go back and forth and we he would ask me about like my intentions with the text and like he would, it was like, we would do, he would do like a literary analysis of my writing <laughs> and so that he could like really, really understand mm -hmm. um, the aesthetic, the, um, the characters, the just everything. Um, and so, yeah, we just worked on this for a while and it, it became an opera and, um, and then we submitted it to various places and it got performed in various places and we collaborated with this group in Sacramento and they did an amazing job with their performance last year. Like it, it just kind of took off and had, and, yeah. um, and we've had some success, uh, showing it in different places. So it's been awesome. Man, I would have never thought of that, you know, all that behind the scenes stuff that you have to figure out in the collaboration. Like when I think of opera, I just think of who is uh, Andrea Bocelli and just, yeah. him, <laughs> just him singing. That's all I know. <laughs> yeah, so, I know. Man, that's that's incredible. I mean, that that's a lot of work. And it was probably such an incredible feeling for you to be able to see it on stage, The all the hours of work that you put into it and seeing it as a finished product. I think that's probably one of the coolest things about being a creative too, is like seeing that finished thing at the end. Oh my God, yeah, that's like the most amazing feeling because um, when it's just fiction on the page, it's just on the page mm -hmm. and um, the experience that the reader has with it is independent of you. Like you don't get yeah. to live it with them, you know, but um, seeing it performed like that meant not only could I could I witness the, the the story that I had made um as an audience member but I could see how all the different people involved in in these operas um were engaging with the story in a really really deep way and bringing their own interpretations to the performances and to their own characters when they're when they're performing these different characters yeah. and drawing from personal experiences and like really connecting with the characters and um and the themes and like having conversations with all these people who were involved um was like <laughs> like all of you guys are are engaging with my story like this is crazy Oh yeah, it must have been surreal. I, I don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would probably. I probably would have cried. Me being my emotional self, would have shed a couple tears. I definitely shed tears. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that was last year, and so this and year and a bit of this year as well. And a bit of this year. Okay, mm -hmm. this year though, you were supposed to go back to Argentina. Mm -hmm. um, for you, do you want to talk about that? And then COVID happened. Thanks, COVID. Yeah, um, this is the sad part of the story. <laughs> Um, so I, um, I got a Fulbright grant, um, to work on my collection of short stories, um, which I had been working on as my thesis for grad school. Um, and so I was supposed to go to Argentina and I was going to go to Buenos Aires and live there for nine months and work on my book and take classes, um, at one of the universities and, um, just work on my book and be happy. And it was gonna be nine months of this. And, you know, like as 
as an artist, like this is what you need. This is like what fuels your career, like yeah. um, the time and support um, to complete your projects. Because otherwise, like there are so many other things that you have to think mm -hmm. about in your life, like um, paying rent, getting a job, like da da da, um, and that can be really difficult um, to to handle when you're also trying to write a book or whatever, yeah. uh, like you, you need time. And especially with the way that I work, like I will go like 12 hours just working and like that doesn't work for a nine to five schedule. And I've, I've kind of like been sacrificed uh, a lot of like career, I guess, like I've never had a nine to five, like 40 hour a week job because I've been like trying to write. Yeah. Um, and, and so this was gonna be a perfect moment for me to be able to go and like actually finish my book and then go into like the workforce and you know whatever um and go back to like a job that i probably wasn't gonna like or whatever mm. <laughs> um and so anyway i went i was gonna go and i planned my whole life around it like um i spent like nine months just kind of like waiting for the for the grant to start in mm. march um, and then it finally started. I left, I went to Argentina, I packed my bags, I said goodbye to everybody, I quit my job. Um, I was working at a marketing company and I, I quit that job because I was like, yay, finally I'm gonna go work on my book and like, ah, be happy. And of course, this is right when COVID is really starting to steam up. Yeah. And this is right, this is in early March, so um, like, we're all starting to be like, wait, COVID, like it's spreading around the world. But I had never, I, I did not when I got on that plane anticipate that I was gonna come back home 10 days later because of COVID. Like yeah. it took 10 days between like leaving and, and having all my, my, like all my concerns before I left were like, am I packing well enough? <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah. and then, I came back 10 days later because of COVID. Like they canceled our program. Um, they said that we had to pack up and go, um, that we had er instantly earned alumni status with Fulbright, which um, actually doesn't like <clears throat> benefit, benefit us at all because yeah. the whole point of doing a Fulbright, uh, especially the kind that I was doing where it's like an independent research project um, is to have the experience and then the yeah. outcome, you know? So that's very um, Yeah. But it has opened up an opportunity for you now. Yeah. You are now a high school teacher. I and am. And how are you feeling about that? I feel great about it. I feel yeah. really excited. Um, I, yeah, like the first couple of months after coming back from Argentina, Argentina were like completely devastating. Um, and I was like, what am I going to do? Like, I really want to finish my book. This is going to be how I was going to do it. Da, da, da. Um, and now I need to find a job and COVID is making it really hard to find a job. Um, mm -hmm. and I moved back in with my parents and like, I never wanted to live in the Bay area. Like, I don't, I don't, I, now I'm stuck here because COVID is making it, um, a problem to move around. And um, also, I have no money, and what am I going to do? So anyway, yeah. I got so lucky um, because I reached out to my old high school, and um, there was no opportunity. And then, like a few days later, there was. 
like they, they, they were like, oh, like something's changed. Like there is now an opportunity. And so, um, so I applied, I got the job, I'm super excited. It means I get to um, work with students on, um, it, I'm gonna be teaching US literature mm -hmm. um, to sophomores. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited. I feel like it's a, it's a beautiful job to have and I get to use my degree and it's, um, it's a part-time position. It's not entirely full-time. So I still have time to work on my writing. So it's kind of like a marriage of everything that I want. Yeah, totally. Yeah. What are you hoping, um, that your students will get out of your class? What is like your goal? At the, oh, at, man. at the end of the year, this is what your your students, this is what, what you want your students to get out of it. I want them to, well, first of all, because it's US lit, um, I want them to come out of this um, with a very strong understanding of um, the systemic racism that has been occurring in this country since its inception yeah. um, and how they as individuals play a role in that and how they can address it and be anti-racist and yeah. doing that through um, teaching certain texts in a certain way and teaching them to be critical um, of like the more traditional canon that has um, amplified the voices of white writers, white male writers, rather than anybody else, um, and kind of understand um, uh, American history through literature a bit better. That's one thing. And then um, I also want them to, um, as a creative writer and as someone who's taught creative writing um, at Davis, like I really want to bring in creative writing into the classroom, and I want them to to realize that literature is art and that they have the potential to make art of their own and in whatever way, in a serious way, in a silly way, but um, that it's important to, um, to think about art as, as like a really radical thing that we can do as human beings to like that, that narratives matter. Like the narratives that we hear every day um, matter in the way that like, culture is created and mm -hmm. that um, they can also participate in the creation of culture through their voices. And um, like, I want, the, yeah, I, I want them to, to at least feel that in some way. And like, I want somebody in the classroom to like, be excited about like being themselves by the end of it, you know, like, I want them mm -hmm. to like, be down with creating a better version of themselves. Oh, that's awesome. Man, I want to be in your in your high school English class. That sounds great. Put on a pair of sunglasses and like a hat and sit in the back. Shave my beard. Honestly, if when I shave, I look like I'm 18. So I might be able to pass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. just come in. <laughs> Join my Zoom sessions because and like it'll be even easier. Oh yeah, true. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll keep the screen black. <laughs> the video up. Oh my god. Tina, how can, you know, I and the rest of the people listening best support you? Oh, that's very nice of you to ask. <laughs> um, I feel honored that you're asking me this. Um, I don't know. Just like just be yourself. Be cool. Be nice. I don't know. Do You do you. That's how you can support me. <laughs> oh, <good. laughs> or like for your projects, will you have any other things coming up? Um, oh, another way you can support me is if I ever do have a book come into the world, buy it. Yeah, put, 
this, give this, it five give it five stars online on like rate it comment yeah. five stars subscribe buy <laughs> <laughs> well, 10 share them with all your friends <laughs> well, tina this is your chance to plug yourself do you have a website somewhere people can you know find you you know see yes. some stuff is your yes. stuff online um you can find me online on my website, mm -hmm. um, christinafriez.com. That's without an H because it's Christina. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's Fries, not fries, but it's spelled like fries. So Christina Fries, if that makes it easier. Yeah. .com. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm on Instagram, uh, Tina underscore Fries. But um, I'm eventually I'm going to have to probably put it on private mode mm -hmm. because I'm going to be a high school teacher and I don't want any kids finding me online and yeah. looking at pictures of me because that would be very creepy. Oh, and you know, they're going to do it too. I know they will. For sure. So. <laughs> <laughs> and so, if you know, if anybody is interested in, you know, what you've done, if they have any questions and wanted to reach out, what would, are you okay with people reaching out and asking you questions and talking about? For sure. Ever. Would your Absolutely. website be the best way? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Okay. There's a little like contact me form on my website and that'll just go straight to my email. So you can do that. Awesome. And I'll be very excited to receive a submission from Squarespace from somebody. <laughs> <laughs> it always gets me excited. Like, ooh, somebody's like <laughs> on my website. Yeah, I know. So I will also include that when this comes out in the description so that if anybody is interested and wants to check it out, they can go there too. That sounds great. Thanks, Marcelino. Of course. Tina, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. You too. Good luck with the rest of these conversations. This is fun. Thank you. Yeah. We'll have to do an update once um, you kind of get things rolling or if you do any other projects in the future, we can do a, an update and see how, how teacher life is going and yes. uh, about your project as well. Yes, maybe something very exciting will happen between now and then and things will change dramatically and we'll just have to, you know, talk about all of that. Yeah, exactly. Or the plan eventually is to make these in person. So I am looking forward to that. Yeah, we can do it since I work down the street literally from you. <laughs> we can meet up at the Dutch Goose and do it. Oh my God. Uh, wow, I, that, kind of terrifies me. I know. I, it reminds me of my high school times. <laughs> um, that place is so grungy and gross. How weird that I'm going back to teach at my own high school. But anyway, I'm. it's going to be awesome, but it's also like a little surreal. Yeah. Hey, Tina, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. You too. Bye. You around. Bye. And